Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Dr. Nusheen K. Darvish. Dr. Darvish is the founder and medical director of Holistique Medical Center and Holistique IV Lounge in Bellevue. She has been practicing as a Washington State board-licensed naturopathic physician with two fellowships, one in integrative cancer therapies and the other in nutritional and metabolic medicine for over 25 years. Dr. Darvish is an internationally sought-out board-certified anti-aging and regenerative medicine lecturer, writer, and clinical physician who consults and trains medical doctors, as well as patients from all over the globe. Using the wisdom of the body's own healing capacity as a holistically-minded physician, she integrates the science of Western medicine with the wisdom of Eastern medicine to transform lives from within while slowly slowing the aging process through optimizing the regeneration and well-being of the body, mind, and soul. Welcome, Dr. Darvish. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on this show with you today. Oh, it's so good. So good to see you. So I love that when I asked you in the intro, um, you know, when I read Nusheen K. Darvish instead of just Nusheen Darvish, should we keep the K? And you said yes to honor my maiden name and my father's legacy, which I love. Yeah, soon my father passed away about eight months ago, just at the beginning of COVID, just before the shutdown. And so... Um, He's been on my mind the whole time, and, and it's incredible the power he has uh, in assisting me in the last few months in everything we do. So I, I really want to honor him today. So thank you so much Aww. for allowing me to do that. Of course. I want to get into your life, but before we do that, I got to hit you with some rapid fire. Are you ready? Uh-oh. <laughs> Okay. Well, given we've, we've connected on the fact that I'm married to a Persian man and that your, your ancestry, that you're Persian also. So I'm super curious what your favorite Persian dish is. Oh, my favorite Persian dish is probably fesenjun. Fesenjun. Okay. I got to learn how to make that. I think I've had fesenjun. Why don't you tell our listeners? It's, it's the nut stew with pomegranate um, syrup and fresh pomegranate on top. It's absolutely it? delicious. Can, huh? Can you make it? Yes, yes. And I make it both vegan and uh, with chicken. Chicken is the authentic way of making it. But yes, it's one of my favorite dishes. It's a sour, sweet and sour kind of a dish. Yeah. And it's interesting because different parts of Iran create a different flavor out of it. So for instance, my husband is a Baha'i, but from a Jewish background. And the Jewish Persians make it a little bit more sour. Whereas my background, which is Baha'i Muslim and Zoroastrian, we make it a little bit more sweet and sour, a little bit more balanced in its taste. So, uh, so it's a really beautiful dish, delicious dish that a lot of people love. Yeah. Oh, yum. Okay. So I'm super curious because you know that I love to come to Holistique. 
Um, and I don't know what the most popular service is, but I'm, I am curious. I know you've got the IV lounge, but what do people come in to request the most? You know, I think it's a combination. One is anti-aging and regenerative medicine, just wanting to optimize their well-being, hormones, look good, feel good. And the other aspect of it is chronic disease. So patients with autoimmune diseases and cancers and really debilitating neurological diseases or uh, chronic Lyme infections and mold illness. Hmm. So it's, it's really you know, a two-dimensional system uh, that we yeah. have. Um, so what's the, what's the, luckily, I don't have a disease right now. God forbid, God willing, that won't happen. But so what's the most popular anti-aging uh, service? The most popular anti-aging is probably balancing hormones and yeah. IV therapy. So whatever it. we can do to balance those hormones and support the system, and along with that, uh, stimulate the, the regenerative system in the cells, for the cells to heal, for the organs to regenerate, whatever we can do to slow down the aging, that's probably the most popular yeah, I get it. I'm feeling, I'm feeling it. I hear you. I just told a girlfriend this morning, I'm like, I'm starting to feel it, my aches, and so I got to get in there for sure. Okay, so I also know that because you always look so like dewy and youthful, that it's not just coming into holistic. You've got a, a healthy lifestyle. You've shared with me that you don't really eat much sugar, you, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you meditate often. So now my question for you is, what's your like, what's your vice? Do you have one? My vice is probably learning, actually. <laughs> I love to learn. And I can um, go you know, to the extreme. So I think that's probably my vice, is I just love to learn and um, become more and more educated. And it kind of spreads me a little bit thin that way, so I have to kind of bring back myself to moderation. Yeah. Because I can get lost in learning and reading and so forth. Yeah. So who inspired all this? Who inspired your career in health and wellness? You know, when I was uh, young, I was sick frequently. So I was at the doctor's office every few weeks and um, antibiotics. I had a mouthful of amalgams by the time I was 11. By age 18, 19, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. I've never taken a pill in my life for pain at all, just so that people know that. But um, I began to read the writings, the Baha'i writings on health and medicine, and uh, realizing that in the Baha'i writings, they talk quite a bit about the medicine of the future being one that treats disease through nutrition, food, diet, herbs and hydrotherapy, hot and cold water, and then leaving the medications and surgery as a final resource. And so that really inspired me to look to the root of my conditions. Uh, why was I having these frequent infections? Why was I diagnosed with asthma in the middle of my teens? Why the rheumatoid arthritis? And what can I do about it without really just suppressing it, really healing. And so I was really inspired this by this one principle of the Baha'i faith, which was integrating and becoming into harmony, harmonizing the science 
and spirituality, the arts and the sciences. And so being a right and left-sided brain, I was looking for something that would create that oneness within my being and help me heal. And so I came across, you know, first I wanted to go into actually conventional medicine to help myself heal, but then I, I came across naturopathic medicine and, um, and at that point realized after meditating for 30 days, this was after I had received a scholarship to go to medical school and I was, <laughs> you know, it was like February or something like that, really at the end of, you know, applications and I, and I was not quite settled as to what is it that I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And so I decided that I'm going to meditate. And after meditating for 30 days, I said, you know what, why do I want to go into conventional medicine when I really want to go into naturopathic medicine and really get to the root of conditions like myself, my, mm. my own condition. Right. And but so then applied for Bastyr University and, um, a month later, got an interview, and the rest is history. And this was 30 years ago. Wow. Well, Bastyr, I know, is the best incredible <laughs> school ever. So about to finish the um, the rapid fire, and I'm so excited to start talking about your childhood. Like, I could ask you so many questions. I'm just intrigued beyond. So um, what's the scariest thing that you've ever done? What's the scariest thing? I think the scariest thing was that, was making a decision to leave my hometown in Vancouver, Canada, and um, come to a different country, even though you know it's just across the border, it's actually a very different culture. I um, was offered a full scholarship in Vancouver. I dropped that. I came to a school that had no scholarships. I had no financial support. And uh, above all of that, it was seen as like a voodoo medicine. Right. And, I was thinking uh, it was cultural, culturally. Yeah, of course. Yeah, right. We did kill. And it's like, you know, so that was that was pretty a big shift in yeah, my life. Yeah, and a scary to, thing. So yes. you you came to, I guess you, I was going to ask you, did you come straight to Seattle? But it sounds like you went straight to Vancouver from Iran yeah. when you were eight years old. Seven, yeah. Seven, seven years old? for my eighth birthday, yeah. And tell me about that experience. Do you remember it? Oh, do I ever. So, you know, about a year prior to our move, my uh, parents received a letter. Actually, all the Baha'is in Iran received a letter from the Universal House of Justice. And that's the world governing body of the Baha'is in Israel. And they sent a letter to the Baha'is warning them that uh, soon there will be events that were not going to be so great happening and that they would they were advising the Baha'is to leave Iran if they could. And so my mom and dad, they just decided to pack up their bag, literally close the door of their house. My dad owned business, closed his business, just closed the door and packed up their three kids and uh, got on a plane and came to Vancouver. And it was at the very beginning of 1977, in the middle of the winter season, February, and we landed in Saskatchewan. And you know, if you've been to Saskatchewan, in the middle of winter, there is like 20 feet of snow, right? Yeah. And this was two o'clock in the morning, and my mom, I looked over to her sitting in the uh, seat of the plane, and she was just bawling and saying, where have we come? <laughs> I don't know 
no language known. They didn't know the language. We didn't know the language. We didn't know the culture. We didn't know uh, anything. They didn't know what they were going to do here, but they thought it was going to be a temporary situation. How did they depict uh, Vancouver? Um, I believe it was just by faith that they went to the embassy and they said, you know, just go to Vancouver. That's a great place to go. And so just by faith and trust, they, that's where they came. And, and, and how uh, did you learn English? You know, the first few months I was put in an English as a secondary language class. So I actually skipped kindergarten or first grade, I should say. I skipped first grade and I was in an English uh, ESL class for about six months. And then uh, after I finished that, then I actually went into regular elementary school in third grade. So I basically, in the first six months, I was not in school. And then the second six months, I was learning ESL and then back in school in the middle of the year. Hmm. And how was it for you as a kid? I've actually had several people on the podcast and obviously a strong argument uh, for having immigrants come to our country because the people I interview on the podcast are, you know, by, by virtue of that very successful and several are like I didn't speak a word of English and I came at a certain age and a lot of them talk about being bullied did that happen to you I did I was bullied there was nobody of color in my school there was no Chinese no black no Indian nothing I was purely the only colored kid in my whole school at that time and I was bullied not so much by the girls but mostly by the boys mm. and um and it was hard, you know, I was working really hard to learn the English language, but I also knew that math was my stronghold. So I would excel in my math exams and study math. And um, as, as I kind of got used to the culture and the kids around me. So, and you know, going back home, my mom and dad spoke Farsi, and I really uh, was caught in this world between school and the Persian culture at home and my mom and dad didn't know English very well my mom did a little bit I guess but not very much and so while they were trying to figure out their life we as kids were trying to figure out our lives so it right. was really raising themselves in some ways you know um, they couldn't help us with homework they couldn't help us with you know learning to be more social with the other kids because they were just trying to figure it out themselves Oh, I'm sure. And so you said that your dad just literally like closed the door to his business. Did he, did, was he able to come over with money or did he have to totally no. start over? No, no, he pretty much started all over. And how was that for him? Because I've also heard a lot of stories of immigrants that are coming and they had this, you know, incredible life in the country mm -hmm. that they left. And then they literally start, you know, exactly. from zero in this country or in Canada. Um, so what did he do? And, and I know he, he passed away eight months ago, but were you able to see him kind of uh, pursue his dreams here? You know, he was always an entrepreneur and a businessman, and that's what he thrived on. His father was also an entrepreneur, and um, they were businessmen that would go back and forth between Tehran and uh, Europe, especially Germany, import-export business and so forth. And then when he came here, um, he had no 
idea of the English language or the culture. And my mom did a little bit. My mom, during the final year before we left, was studying some English in Iran. And so when we came here, she actually went in, um, went to work. She uh, went into sales, uh, retail sales, while my dad learned English and basically um, took care of us as young kids. You know, there was three of us, a three-year-old brother, me, myself, that was seven, and then my sister that was 11. So my dad started learning English while taking care of us, and then he was able to go back into pursuing um, sales and um, business. But he, he never was able to get over the fact that he wanted to go back to Iran, because that was mm. his dream, was to go back to Iran and continue his business there. Mm -hmm. And um, he was never able to do that because of the Baha'i persecution that uh, started about six months after we got here. Yeah, got to Vancouver. I think my so my in-laws have this. My in-laws have the same, and you know, I think people who don't know have a different impression of Iran. Obviously, today Iran is different than the Iran that your parents raised mm -hmm. you in those first years. Um, when I look at the pictures of my in-laws, and they're in mini skirts, and they're in like fabulous living this life, and they were you know in Tehran. Yes. Um, much different than what we see kind of in the media and what it is has become. Yeah. And I can imagine that that's causes a lot of conflict because you're like, no, but that's my people. And there's yeah. so much beauty in the culture. Yes. Um, it really is so beautiful. Definitely, definitely. You know, I mean, my mom was always uh, in the hairdresser every week, dressed up, uh, events, and this and that. And then when she came here, it was a completely different world, you know, completely. Yeah. There's no one to do those kind of blowouts here. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's yeah, yeah. actually my family comes from New York and they're like, Well, who does a good blowout here? I'm like, Well, everybody's got straight hair. <laughs> yeah. And you know, at that time there was no Persian hairdressers. <laughs> That's what I mean. Yeah. That's so funny. Now you go to Vancouver, it's filled with Persian hairdressers. Right? Yeah, that's that's at that that's time so forty-five years ago there was nobody. Yeah. And so how has um being an immigrant and being from that um that being your kind of life story and story of origin shaped you as far as your overall way of looking at the world and, and leading a business? Well, you know, first of all, I was raised as a Baha'i with this global mindset that uh, no matter where you are, um, people are really one in essence. And uh, that I have always had this love for people, just, you know, no matter the color, religion, background, cultural background, there's always this love. And uh, I was also raised with this mindset uh, that service is the essence and purpose of our lives. And so if we can serve others, it will bring us joy and happiness. And, um, you know, I saw that my mom and dad, when they immigrated, they worked hard. And at the same time, we had to work hard ourselves uh, to raise, uh, in a way, ourselves um, to accommodate or um, get used to the environment around us and understand it and integrate within the environment around us. And so those characteristics of working hard and having at the same time having this really big global mindset, I think has set me up or did set me up for the business that we do now, the work that we do now, the service that we do now. 
I think without that, it would I wouldn't have worked as hard. I wouldn't have been as persistent. So it sounds like your upbringing really impacted you as a as a person, but also your ability to lead teams and and build a business. Um, and I know that it was scary to decide to go to Bastyr, but at least um, from where I sit, that's like that's like the Harvard of all naturopathic mm-hmm. schools, yes, right? Yes. At least we like to think so, so, right? Yeah, I mean, I know that it's really well regarded. And um, and also just doing research on you, I was literally like, oh my God, you have more, <laughs> more certifications and, uh, you know, licenses than any other doctor. I've never seen, you've studied a lot. I get it. Yeah, now. you get what my vice is, right? <laughs> I mean, your vice is no joke. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so doctor of naturopath pathic medicine, you've got licenses and uh, certifications and anything and everything, stem cell therapy, platelet-rich plasma therapy, ozonotherapy, IV nutrition therapy. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Um, is that a different differentiator on top of your kind of um, healing energy? Do most doctors have that is, I guess, my question. No, most don't. And, you know, I think that um, I characterize myself as being multi-talented I mean, I love to dance and I love to sing and I love to heal. I love to learn. I love the sciences. I love the arts. And so my focus has always been the patient. And I never wanted to limit myself in the number of tools that I can use in order to help this individual. So whether it means learning about stem cell therapies or exosomes or peptides or IV vitamins or diet therapy, meditation, emotional release work. It really doesn't matter. The point is, what can I use? What does this patient need in order to heal? Because we all need different things. And some people, you know, they need the exosomes. Some people just need some hormone therapy. Some people need vitamins and minerals. And some people just need some emotional work and guideline on, on their day, day-to-day lifestyle. And so the mm-hmm. focus, if the focus is on serving and helping this individual heal, then I want access to everything that is there in the world. Yeah, it, you, you've got it. It's right? incredible. And so you started Holistique in 2002. You're almost at 20 years, which is crazy. I think I was referred to right when I landed off the plane in, from New York and moved back 10 years ago. So I've been coming to Holistic off and on, um, you know, for that whole time. Um, and I know that, you know, Holistic talks about transforming lives from within. And what exactly does that mean to you? That to me means that it's not just about the surface healing. It's really getting to the depths of the cells. And that depths of the cells could be the DNA, It could be the mitochondria, you know, the cell engine, but it could also be the spirit and the emotion that vibrates through that cell. So Mm. it means that we, in order for us to really heal and to transform and to become agents of transformation in this world, we really need to heal at the depths of ourselves. 
from the inside. And so how do you, how do you find that? Like, how do you go about finding the root cause of chronic or acute conditions? That's the art, right? That's the art of medicine. Yeah. Oh, it's, inc- right? yeah. it's the art of medicine. And, you know, I always say to, to the resident doctors and the doctors that I'm training that we as a provider, as a physician need to be one step ahead of the patient one step ahead physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Because if a patient is on the floor and they can't get up, if you're on the floor with them, how can you possibly reach out your hand and pull them up? You have to be standing up in order to reach out and and take that patient's hand and pull them back up. And so, so we have to be... Uh, constantly working on ourselves, constantly learning, constantly spiritually clearing and uh, connecting, constantly emotionally releasing our stress or whatever baggage that we're holding on to and living the life, really practicing what we preach so that we can help that individual pull up. And, Mm -hmm. um, And so... Going back to your questions, how do we do that? Well, first of all, I have to be as clear and grounded as possible and uh, constantly doing that work to do that. Secondly, um, we use different tools. So I use tools from the Western medicine, from Eastern medicine, from functional medicine, anti-aging medicine, Ayurvedic, um, Oriental medicine. I mean, whatever medical system, regenerative medicine, anti-aging medicine, whatever medical system is out there, we use it. Now, I may not be versed in all of it. Like I'm not very much versed in Ayurvedic medicine, but I have a provider in the office that is. So I will refer that patient to that provider to help them on that aspect. If I feel that that individual would benefit from that kind of an approach, or we'll do regenerative medicine. If I if I see that that patient is going to benefit from this versus, let's say, um, Chinese acupuncture, right? So it's not necessarily that I'm versed in all of these therapies, but I'm knowledgeable enough to be able to identify where that patient needs to go to really get ultimate healing from inside out. And then, of course, there's therapies that I'm passionate about, like regenerative medicine and emotional work and hormone balancing. And so those kind of therapies I do myself. But when it comes to nutritional counseling, I'll send them to one of the other doctors whose passion is nutrition. Mm -hmm. And what age should people start to think about um, looking more closely at their hormones? Well, you know, hormones start going off in their teenage years. (laughs) (laughs) I know I've got a few of them in my house. Apparently, apparently they're in full effect. Yes. And, and if at that age, they can regulate their nutrition and exercise and learn how to meditate and, um, you know, do all the things, get to bed, do all the things that will help reduce their stress response. Then as they get older, my age, and then your age, because I'm older than you, girl, then, um, <laughs> then it's a lot easier to balance those hormones. But if they haven't done any of that, they probably will feel shifts happening in the hormones, like weight gain and mood swings, uh, 
me becoming more dramatic, maybe after pregnancies or maybe after age 35, 40. And that's when a lot of people start coming in is in their 40s, men and women coming in in their 40s to engage in what do I do now that I'm stressed out, I can't sleep, I've got anxiety and depression, I'm gaining weight even though I'm exercising five days a week, what can I do now? And it's even more, if, um, you know, uh, even um, more intense right now during this COVID pandemic, uh, that people are yeah. really feeling the stressors on their body and their hormones going crazy on them. Yeah. Right. So I also read that, that you say, as human beings, we've been endowed with five gems, physical, mental, emotional, energetic, and spiritual. And so how, how do you, I mean, that, that's a lot to take on. And I get it that you're, it's like holistic, like it's all the holistic approach to all of you. Oh, you really did um, your research, most, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, and mo most of the reasons that you're saying that people have indications to come in would be the physical. I can't sleep. I feel like, you know, anxious or my, my back hurts or my knee hurts. And then when you peel back the layers, you start to connect all the dots on everything. And so how, how, um, how much do people have to be open kind of to this way of thinking to, to have uh, impact? Because I'm sure that's frustrating for you, even with someone like me who's like, I want to do it, but then I get home and I don't take the vitamins. You know, actually, what I've learned is that it's not my responsibility, it's the patient's responsibility. And I've had patients that come in 20 years ago, they came in. And um, they come for one or two visits and then they don't come back. And then 10 years later, they show up and they say, now I'm ready to do what you tell me to do. <laughs> right. But that's part yeah. of their journey. And that's okay. It's absolutely part of their journey. And so you don't really have to believe in the holistic perspective, but you have to be willing to do the work. And mm -hmm. you have to love yourself enough to do the work because it all goes back to loving oneself. You know, the way I see it is that it's not selfish to do self-care. It's actually a service because if I can optimize my body, my mental well-being, my emotional well-being, so that I can be of service to the people around me, so that I can be a service to my family and my colleagues and the world around me, then it's vital that I take care of myself. It's vital that I get to wow. bed by nine o'clock. It's vital that I eat well. Um, it's vital that I go and take 20 minutes and exercise of 10 minutes to meditate. It's vital because I'm tuning myself up just like a car, right? If your car is not tuned, out, tuned up and you break down, this, this thing breaks down, you get so frustrated because it's not serving you. You can't, and, and yeah. you can't use that, that vehicle to go do the serving that you want to do for other people like you are today, right? You get frustrated. Like the yeah. internet breaks down, it gets very frustrating, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Right? But if we can yeah. keep a tab on ourselves and keep ourselves checked in and tuned up, then we're able to serve others and, and, at the end of the day, we're more joyful, we're happier, we're more satisfied, we're 
resonating at a much higher level than we ever thought we could. The material world, the physical world becomes absolute nothingness because we realize that the world of the spirit, the world of joy and happiness and in helping others is much more satisfying to us than the physical world of earning, you know, $200,000 every six months or buying the biggest house on the lake or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Right. And we realize oh, that yeah, the material that world sense. doesn't bring us joy. It doesn't bring us happiness. It's much more than that. Yeah. That makes sense. And so if somebody is listening to this, because, you know, I can't really tell when I do the analytics around the podcast, like who exactly is listening. They just show different countries. And it's like Kazakhstan, like random places people are listening. So if they don't have access to you, obviously now there's telehealth. um, But if they don't have access to you and they're just listening to this on a walk in Miami and they're like, oh, I need to get myself, uh, you know, in tip-top shape emotionally and spiritually and cl- I need a tune-up what's what's the first or most important things like sleep <laughs> yes sleep is huge sleep is when our growth hormones are activated and that's when things regenerate and sleep you know most people think oh well I'm getting my eight hours of sleep but they're going to bed at two o'clock in the morning it doesn't work that way we need to get to bed before 11 before 10 30 because by 11 o'clock at night, our organs, especially the liver, is regenerating and detoxifying itself. And so if we're staying awake through that time, that liver that is vital for tissue regeneration, detoxification, is not able to do its work because we're still up and active and doing things. And so getting to bed before 11 is important and getting seven to eight hours of sleep typically seven, seven and a half hours for women. Men tend to need a little bit more, more on the eight hour end of um, hours of per night. And then, uh, you know, eating well, of course, and diet comes before exercise, actually. You know, 80% of our system is dependent on food versus exercise. So if you're feeding your body the correct nutrition, and you know, these fad diets are just a fad, and uh, seeing a provider that knows you or understands you or listens to you to figure out what kind of a diet you would need to be on is really important for well-being. Because when we're eating food, we can eat a food that is junk, um, you know, a hamburger out of McDonald's or what have you, and that food can have a very heavy resonating frequency with our cells. And so it bogs down our cells, not only physically because of the toxins in that food, but on the energetic level, it also bogs us down. Whereas plant-based foods like lentils and beans and vegetables and whole food grains and so forth, they're growing out of ground. They have a growth energy to them. They have a vital force to them. They have live enzymes in them. And when we ingest those, we're ingesting that vital force, that energy that gives that plant life. We're giving, taking that energy in that plant and translating it into our body. And so our cells get this, not only the vitamins and the minerals that are in that plant, but also the vital force that comes with life from that plant into our cells. 
And so food becomes really important. And then I would say, actually, it's meditation over exercise. I think that meditation allows us to access the hidden mysteries in the world. And if we can access the hidden mysteries, we get the answers to some of the in-depth questions that we may be pondering about or the conflicts that we are facing in our life, we can get answers through meditation. And so practicing meditation, whether it's picking up an app like Calm or one of these other um, apps, um, Chopra app, there's a bunch of them, Headspace, and learn how to meditate. And if it's just two minutes, let it be two minutes. Next time it will be three mm -hmm. minutes. And then before you know it, it's an hour of meditation. And you're learning things not only about the world around you, but about yourself. And you're also letting go of things that you realize you shouldn't really be carrying. And as we let go, the stress in our body releases, the nervous system stress uh, response calms down. Our cells begin to regenerate. The DNA begins to regenerate. The, the studies have shown that meditation has a, quite an impact on our genetic material, on our DNA, on our immune system, on our vital force, on regeneration. And so we can use meditation as a form of uh, healing, but also regenerative medicine. And then I would say it's exercise. And, you know, people have this mindset that, oh my gosh, I've got to exercise 45 minutes to an hour, hit exercises five days a week to get to build muscle and to get into shape. What they don't realize is that too much exercise increases the stress response in our body. And as the stress response increases, as that cortisol level goes up, that cortisol is a breakdown hormone. It breaks down our tissues. And so too much exercise becomes counterproductive to our aging process. It actually causes more aging than anti-aging. It causes more damage. Ah, ah, thank you. That must be what's happening. I'm kidding. I'm like, that must be what's happening. I do come from that mindset though. And it's super helpful. I feel calm whenever I talk to you because it's like, okay, these things seem very inspired and they make so much sense. It's just hard to undo the thinking around, you know, five, six days of an hour of hardcore workout. It doesn't necessarily translate to the way I look. It just feels like I've earned something. Yes. You yes. know, it's our, it's the, the lifestyle kind of in my mind, it's like the right thing, but that makes sense. Okay. So we've got meditations, sleeping, and then what about my drinking water? Yes. I showed you my big, huge Yes, jug. water. So oxygen is the other one. So getting out in the fresh air to get oxygen, but also water is H2O. There's oxygen in water. And so when we're drinking water, we're oxygenating ourselves. Our cells need two things to regenerate on the physical level. They need food, vitamins, minerals, amino acids, and they also need oxygen. One without the other just doesn't work. That cell doesn't do much. It doesn't grow. It doesn't regenerate. It doesn't heal. And so getting oxygen through water, fresh air, and if people are really sick, let's say they have cancer or they have a chronic infection, oftentimes these tissues that are deprived of oxygen are the ones that get sick. So that's where cancer grows. That's where the infection grows. Mm. So, you know, I have people that come in that have 
uh, infections in the jawbone and they don't even realize it. But the problem is that that jawbone doesn't get much blood flow. And therefore, it doesn't have the nutrition and the oxygen coming to it. And therefore, infections can grow. And then that leads to a whole mm. cascade of other events throughout the body through the lymphatic system and, and so forth. So, so oxygen becomes extremely important in transforming the cellular energy. We can't live without it. We can't survive. Right? Yeah. So, Yes. Wow. I'm like, I'm literally, I'm listening to him taking notes and I'm, uh, I'm so inspired by all of your knowledge, but also I just trust you. Like if you're like Dr. Darvish said to do this, I'm like done because you just, you walk the walk, you talk the talk and you look like 30. Thanks. <laughs> I'm like, whatever you're doing, I'm like, sign me up. The vanity side of me is like, sign me up. Um, so in your personal life, I know you've also got three kids. You come from three and now you've got three. Mm -hmm. And are they three girls, yes, three right? three girls. And how are they doing and how's life been for your family through COVID and this crazy time? You know, I've got three girls. They were raised um, organic food and healthy lifestyle. And so, and it's with a spiritual mindset. And so they're 18, 21, and my oldest one just turned 23 yesterday. My 18-year-old will become 19 and um, January. So 19, 21, and 23-year-old girls. And I'm very proud of them because they have learned how to take care of themselves from a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. And, and so now their focus is on what can they be in the world around them? How can they serve the world around them? And so they're, you know, they're focused on eating well. They're focused on educating themselves. They're Two of them are at UW here, University of Washington. One of them graduated. And um, the older one right now had planned to have this year be a year of service where she was planning to go to um, Zambia and then India and Chile to serve before she went into grad school. And, and that was obviously with the COVID shut down and she wasn't able to do that. So she figured out another way to be of service and to volunteer. And so she's spending this year working as a volunteer for America Corps while she's applying for grad school. So, you know, I'm really proud of them wow. because they are finding their niche. Um, they're, uh, they're very social kids. Uh, they love being with people, uh, but at the same time, they're very balanced and they're working hard to keep that balance. And of course, each one of them has their own challenges. They're um, wanting to be independent um, and, uh, and um, do what they want to do and need to do what they need to do and, and find their purpose. And it's really exciting to yeah. watch that because I'm very proud that even though we have the capacity to provide everything for them, they don't want to do that. They don't want us to provide for yeah. them. They want to be on their own two feet. And, and that to me as yeah. girls is really inspiring and powerful. So I'm, I'm really proud of them. Well, they've got such a model. Are any of them kind of mini-me's as far as the way they look or the way they act? You know, I think they're all combination. They're all combination. Yeah. Because you and your husband kind of look alike also, which is same as my, me and my husband. Yeah. But just, I mean... Sometimes you end up looking like the dog looks like I'm yeah. kidding, but they say that, you know, your dog looks like you, but spouses sometimes can start to look, look alike. Um, and do you think any of them will follow in your footsteps? 
you know, I'm not sure. My oldest one was initially, and then she decided, mom, this clinical business is too stressful. I can't do what you do. I'm going to go into research. So she's going to go yeah. into doing the research for, uh, for what we need as humans, which is awesome. Bring the science more into the game. Uh, my middle one is at Foster School of Business, and she's really wanting to go into business, but I'm not sure. She doesn't know yet what type of business. And the younger one is into the sciences and the environmental uh, science, but she's not sure what she wants to go into. So we'll see. You know, I come from a generation from my mother's side, my uh, great-grandmother, my great-grandfather were physicians and herbalists and healers. And I didn't know that until I finished my residency. Um, and I discovered that my great-grandmother was uh, a healer and a physician and one of the very few in Iran at that time uh, in her time. And so, you know, yeah. whatever is meant for them to be and do is absolutely perfect. And um, what I encourage them is to become the best that they can in whatever they choose to become. Yeah, I think that's an awesome message. And I love having women powerhouses like you um, to help kind of set the tone and lead the way for future generations. When thinking about, I haven't met your daughters, but I'm assuming that with little women like that, the future is bright for sure. They're very strong. They have been from the day they were born, strong-minded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure that you need that to you know, make your home life feel, um, just feel like those pillars of your family around you, because knowing you and knowing how much you put into your work, like that energy that you get from it, and also, the, and also the energy that it can take, if you're not careful, you know, taking care of people has got to be energy sucking if you aren't careful. It can be, definitely, you know? it can be. And and that's one of the reasons I wear my white jacket in the office is because when I leave the office, I take that jacket off. I take everything that I've picked up with that jacket at the office and then I come home. But I also think that um, what, you know, practicing and seeing patients, these kids, my kids have been involved with the practice from a very young age. And they've been around people, they've been around what sick people look like and what healthy people look like. And I think that's uh, given them a perspective on life and what they want to do. It's also helped them become more independent because honestly, if they weren't good kids, I couldn't do what I did and continue to do yeah. right. They, they have been good kids, knock on wood. <laughs> they have been really incredible yeah. kids. And so I'm, I'm really yeah. blessed and I'm very, very grateful that these children uh, have been as good as, um, you know, as they can be for me to do what we need. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, it's hard to be a working mom and uh, to think about the energy that it would take if the kids got derailed in some way and, and weren't good kids. I just, I don't know how some women do it. So I agree that you take, don't take that for granted yes. for sure. When your kids are like on the right track, for yes. sure. That's important. So what's your ultimate fuel? Like what fuels you as far as your legacy? What fuels me is people, um, God, and, uh, just, I think, I really think just my ancestry, the work that they did, the 
hard work that they did, the fact that my parents left everything in Iran, sacrificed their own well-being for us children so that we can become a source of service, I think that ultimately is the biggest feel for me. I love it. Love it, love it. And if people want to find you and they want to come visit you, our listeners, if they're um, in this area, or you, I guess you could see people in telehealth. Yes. What's the best... What's the best way to find you? Well, there is drdarvish.com. That is more of an educational website. So there's a lot of Instagram and Facebook lives and interviews with podcasts and radio and so forth that you can learn lots from. And then there is our clinic, uh, holistiquehealth.com. And that's uh, the, spell, the French spelling, H-O-L-I-S-T-I-Q-U-E health.com. So holistiquehealth.com. And uh, you'll find a lot of our services and providers there. And um, you can call the number 425-451-0404 to make an appointment with any of the providers. And they're all really excellent. I, I really do feel blessed that I'm surrounded by incredible people that I work with. And I'm also really blessed by incredible people that come to our office as clients and patients. And, uh, you know, I will tell you that I learn more from you as a patient, as a client, than you probably learn from me. And I'm inspired more by you than... I don't know about that, uh, but thank you. (laughs) Really, I mean, that is one of the biggest feels for me is people. People that I meet every day. So I... Well, you can tell your office has great energy from the minute that you walk in. And I've only had great experiences there. So... Um, I'm so honored and um, grateful to have you on the podcast and uh, can't wait to see you in person soon. I think I'm coming in in, in the next month. Right. Thank you so much, Shauna. It's just been a joy. And yeah. thank you for giving thank me this you. opportunity to be of service and to share my story. Thank you. Of course. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.